This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk, back with you guys for what is a brand new series of podcasts on this channel, which is called Eat, Sleep, Arsenal, Repeat. Yes, that's what we've gone with. You can criticise us or praise us in the comment section below with the choice of name, but I quite like it uh, and I think the guys like it as well. So uh, you'll have to let us know if you enjoy uh, that one and the tagline that we're going to go with. Effectively, uh, you probably heard me waxing lyrical about how I basically wasn't really happy with myself on Monday on the Arsenal Transfer Show, talking about how I want to get more into fitness and talking more about fitness and trying to be more motivated. Well, one of the ways and one of the strategies I'm kind of putting in place is by kidnapping three people for an hour every single week to try and help me do that uh, but beyond that this is going to be a podcast that is very much still Arsenal focused I think you know think of it as an Arsenal podcast beyond anything else and we are going to be talking about everything that happens each week the weekly TGT podcast if you will um, talking about the weekend's events looking ahead to the next games etc but also I think the benefit of this podcast and what it may stand out amongst the rest is because we've got you know the ability to go into injuries in a lot more detail talk about health in a lot more detail and hopefully get you guys in more of a community feel about fit and looking at ourselves as well, which should be fun. We'll see where this goes. Um, but I've got a fantastic panel of guests that I've kept waiting to talk about themselves. So let's do that. Sophie, I'm joined by you, of course. Tell people who you are and why you're here. Hey, I'm Sophie Nicolau, host and producer of The Highbury Squad. And I am here because I was inspired by Tom's show the other day. I didn't tell you to say this. Just putting that out there. (laughs) (laughs) And he owes me 20 pounds, which is going to be in my stocking, I'm sure. So, no, I love it. I'm a a huge fan, as you guys know, of Tom. Uh, Love Owen. Um, Haven't met the doc yet, but can't wait for this. So thanks for inviting me. This is going to be epic. And I love how different um, a different spin it is, too. So nice one, Tom. Indeed, absolutely. Uh, we're also joined by a long-term friend, first-time listener, of course, who grew forcefully into my life. Uh, it's Owen. How you doing, mate? Tell people who you are and, and why you're here. Yeah, yeah, but it's good to be back on. It's been way too long. Um, mm. Yeah, the, Now the it's going to be way too regular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, far too regular. We, we, we only do extremes. It's either all in or all out. Um, but uh, no, as you said, I'm Owen, uh, TGTOG. I think I was actually technically... 
the first expert member, maybe? I or... think you were. I think you might have been yeah. one of the one of, yeah, and absolutely, all, if not the first expert it's member. It's been all downhill the since then. And then I've been <laughs> uh, obviously kidnapped over to Mike at the Pooners Pod, where things are a lot less serious and a lot less frequent. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I think the reason that I've been brought on is that if, if Raj is the pinnacle of fitness, then I must be the opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> or, or something like that. I'm like the model of how things shouldn't be done. So. Here well, I am and all you know, goodness. if it ever comes to progress pictures, we actually had to show progress, and I thought you were the best no. option to to show that. So, oh, thanks very much, buddy. I appreciate that. I no, that very much appreciate your time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and lastly, uh, as mentioned, we're also joined by Dr. Raj, uh, or just Raj, because he's far too humble to have Doctor tagged on to him every single time we talk about him. But Raj, tell people who you are and why you're here, mate. Yeah. So uh, my name is Raj Paul Brar. I'm a doctor of physiotherapy. And uh, longtime Arsenal supporter. So, you know, Tom, you asked me to be on just to kind of come on and, and share my expertise. I will I'm always, for anyone who's trying to make themselves, you know, better themselves. And I think a lot of that requires a lot of self honesty. And that's very, very hard. And I really appreciate kind of what you did and, and the catalyst that we could potentially be for a lot of people. And there's, there's so much information nowadays on social media and how to do certain things. So maybe this, this can be a, a segment that helps people kind of understand how to cut through some of that. So mm. that's why I'm here. No, I appreciate it. I'm, you know, I'm glad that you, you took the time to listen and, and are taking the time each week to, to have a chat with us. And we are aiming to, to produce this podcast for you each week. It's going to be what I think is the only pre-recorded piece of content on a channel, which is primarily all live shows. Um, But it is going to hopefully enable us to create some quite good content for you. We're going to hopefully have some features and talk to some special people throughout the time we're doing this podcast. So uh, focusing into fitness and health and and linking it into Arsenal. But as I said at the start of the show, this is all in all an Arsenal podcast still. And with this being, you know, uh, eat, sleep, Arsenal, repeat, and very much focused on fitness, it is quite a big time to talk about Arsenal and fitness because we've been hit with some pretty big news regarding fitness. And that is that Gabriel Jesus has successfully undergone surgery on a knee problem. Uh, I'm going to come to the doc for this for obvious reasons to start with. You have been obviously tweeting throughout the day in reaction to this. Um, is it is it something that really Arsenal fans should be significantly worried about? Or do you think maybe we've escaped a potentially worse problem from happening along the line? I mean, I think so there's kind of a different timeline on information. One, the, the, the club hasn't released any inf- official information on the injury, right? They just said he had surgery. His return will be based on how he kind of responds to physio. The most updated information we have was that he had a partial tear of, of a knee ligament, likely what we call the MCL on the inside part of your knee. That's based on other reporting that we had, I think from Mike McGrath, right? Earlier who mm. said that it was yeah, a the knee ligament. Yeah. And then we also know from most recent reporting that it's a meniscus issue. So very, very likely the operation was on the meniscus. And the timeline there, there's a big variance there because it depends on multiple different things. For example, the first thing is, are they going to repair the meniscus or are they just going to remove that torn piece of tissue, right? And so the give and take there is when you just remove it, there is quicker return timeline but there's potential for downstream risks, right? The other issue is there's with certain tears, depending on location of the tear, 
it's not even eligible to repair it. So that's the other side of the coin. And then it depends on, is it on the inside of the knee or the outside of the knee? So there's multiple different timelines here, depending on each of those things. So the shortest timeline would be if it's on the medial part of his knee and they trimmed it as four to six weeks typically. The longest timeline is if it's on the lateral outer part of his knee and they repaired it, that's typically about four months. And so, and then there's multiple iterations between those two sides, right? And so in some, we don't really know. Um, yeah. But I think the meniscus news was actually good news to me if that's what was surgically operated on because that tends to be a quicker return timeline. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of comparisons made with Granit Xhaka, of course, because he suffered uh, an MCL issue uh, in 2021 uh, in the North London Derby, which, of course, he was able to recover from. And I think it was 69 days was the amount of time he missed. Um, Obviously, he didn't have surgery, um, which is the key difference. Just quickly before I kind of get the reaction on, on, on the impact of that, Raj, the difference between recovering from this with and without surgery what is the difference like? Is Because Jack has not even had an injury since that. You know, he's not had a, a single issue since he's recovered from that problem. Is having the surgery in the case of Jesus, the reason why they chose to do that is that they felt that it, simply in comparison to Jacker, it wasn't recoverable from. Uh, and how might that affect the timeline with obviously the broad scope that we don't know too much at the moment? Yeah, so I was actually a little confused when I first heard he had surgery and it was an MCL injury because you even grade three ruptures, full tears are rarely operated on for the MCL because really? they, they heal really, really well because they mm. have a really good blood supply. That's why I was, when I first heard it, I was like, okay, but I'm a little, there's probably more information here. And so then when I heard it's a meniscus issue, then it made sense why they would go in and have a procedure. And then the fact that he was... Uh, allegedly dealing with some discomfort prior to the World Cup as well, which makes it sound more like he was probably having some irritation in that knee due to the meniscus, right? Got hit again versus Cameroon and then decided, okay, now it's too much for him to recover from. So I don't think his MCL is actually being repaired. I think they're going to let that heal by itself. So I think the main timeline here will be the meniscus. So it's going to be a little bit different than Jaka's injury. Okay, interesting stuff. So obviously this is a huge um, blow. You know, we we've started the season fantastically and we sit five points clear. And I think we can, you know, it's not exactly a divisive viewpoint to say that Gabriel Jesus has been a massive part of the reason why we are where we are. You know, we can talk about the amount of goals that he's not scored, you know, and the amount of goals and games that we've missed without him scoring, but the contribution he has to the team is so significant. Where is your head at? And I'm kind of curious to know where your head was at when you first heard about the potential injury. And now you've had kind of time to digest it all. How are you feeling about how Arsenal may react to this? Yeah, so I've been through the three phases, you know, uh, the breakdown, the meltdown, and then rock bottom. But now yeah. we've got uh, Raj on, which by, I have to call him Doc. I'm sorry. Um, there's no way. <laughs> Someone who's been through that that amount of school deserves to be called Doctor or Doc. Um, that, that's it. Uh, We've got Doc me, Raj. That's how it's going to be. That's, yeah, I mean, Doc the comment Raj. section is going to be filled with cheers, Doc. That's that's how it's going to work. <laughs> exactly. Um, respect. So when I first heard, like every Arsenal fan, my heart sank. And for all the reasons you've said, here's a player that has not only come and had a huge impact on the pitch. And, yes, we can talk about the goals. Someone actually wrote to me today and said, well, we all, t- we all we were all upset when Lacazette wasn't scoring and how long did his contributing and I'm like just stop the conversation right there because we're talking about two completely different players who offer the team totally different things 
And the great thing about Jesus is when he's not scoring, he still offers this team everything and more. And even when he's not scoring, he's a contender for man of the match. His infectious personality, his character has, you can see it trickling throughout the team. Players know they have to work harder. They see him working harder. Here's someone who's won the Premier League, has played under one of the best managers in modern football, has competed in Champions League, comes to us, you know, at 25, a born winner. And so that has changed the psyche, the mentality. He's helped players like Martinelli, Saka. It's just really just great to watch him and Zinchenko actually add that mm. flavor. Um, funnily enough, Super Kev and I were talking on the show and I asked him, what else happens? We know he presses. We know he's one of the best pressing forwards. We know that, you know, even if he's not scoring, he's, contributing, he's still contributing. But what else is going to happen? How is this going to affect the rest of the team on the pitch? And Kev thinks it will help. It will trickle throughout. You know, it will affect Partey and Xhaka in terms of um, how they play. Maybe in particular, Xhaka being more of an aggressive player this season, box to box. It'll affect Martinelli and Saka because he plays higher up the pitch. So then when the midfield bursts through, you've got Saka on one side, Martinelli on the other side who are open. He calls players with him. Um, Jesus isn't in the box. And I know we all want him more in the box, but there's a reason why he's not is because he's creating so much by winning the ball up the field and doing all these great things that allow Saka and Martinelli to have his game. So in short, yes, we're going to miss him. I then went to the next phase where it's like, we don't know enough information yet. Let's wait. Mm. So I paused the button. And then, you know, when I heard that he had had surgery, it was more of another sinking feeling because I'm thinking, wow, West Ham, Newcastle, Tottenham, Manchester United. Hmm. You know, now you're asking Eddie and Ketia to step up, and I know you'll probably get to that. So for me, I went through those different phases, but also you have to have faith that this team can cope without him or whether it's someone that comes in January, Tom. And this is where the manager earns his crust. How does he respond? What does he do in this situation to compensate for not having such a fundamental player? Sophie really brilliantly segued into what I was going to talk about next, though, in which, of course, is, is kind of what Arteta does. And I think the obvious answer to, to, I think, what we think is going to happen is that Eddie and Ketia will come in, at least for those games against West Ham United on Boxing Day and Brighton and Hove Albion on, on New Year's Eve, when, of course, we don't have the, the option of, of strengthening in January. Where does your head kind of sit with Eddie? Because he's a player that has been given a hundred, well, reportedly a, a figure of around a hundred thousand pound week. Now, I imagine that a lot of that is probably made up with bonuses uh, and add-ons, etc., which have to be obviously achieved for it to reach that high number. Uh, and the base value may be significantly lower, but we're unsure at this stage. He, at the end of last season, was called upon because Lacazette was. It wasn't that Lacazette was injured; it's because Arteta made the conscious choice to swap out Lacazette for Enketia. Um, and in doing so, we saw him struggle initially against Southampton and then find his feet in the toughest of tests, really, for him away at Chelsea. So when you see what he's done, and you also then see this season with him playing in the Europa League and having mixed results, but then obviously scoring a great goal against Brighton in the Carabao Cup despite us losing that game, where's your head at regarding our potential replacement for Gabriel Jesus? I think a term that, that you use there sort of hits the nail on the head with Eddie, and that's mixed results. And unfortunately, that's that's what I continue to see with Eddie. I think that I think that Eddie can be brilliant in flashes, but unfortunately, with the way things are looking, it, it's going to be quite a sustained period of time. And for me, I'm not really sure whether Eddie has it in him um, to provide enough for us to sustain our title challenge. And see, that's the problem, I think, here, is that 
if you were to say to me at the start of the season, can you make sense of why we offered Eddie and Eddie and Caddy a hundred grand a week, regardless of bonuses or anything, hundred grand a week round figure? Mm-hmm. I could say yes because I assumed our goal was going to be fighting it out for a top four place and, and battling in the Europa League. But fortunately, we find ourselves in a very different position than many of us expected to, which is that the title is there to be run at and that Man City for as much as the media build them up to be these sort of Goliath-type figure, that they do have their frailties too. You know, everybody talks about Arsenal sustaining this. Man City still have to sustain a lot too. They're probably the closest we're ever going to see to being in a transition period with the likes of Fernandinho, obviously company leaving, you know, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus. All these players have left pretty close to a transitional period. But for me, um, in my opinion, I, I don't think that the, they're... Pr- we we'll see these links like Cristiano Ronaldo and all these, <laughs> like all this nonsense coming up like that. He can't like, start I for think... Portugal at the moment, mate. <laughs> exactly. And look at them; they're five one up at the minute. Oh, great! But um, yeah. yeah, no. But what what look? What I was gonna say is that I don't see them deviating too far from their plan. But what I would like to see, in my opinion, what probably should happen is that if that Mikhail Mudrik deal is uh, there to be done to, to, to really accelerate and push that through to get that done as early as possible. And I think now's the time for the baptism of fire for Gabriel Martinelli. You know that he's this guy that we've been sort of keeping on a leash at times and rightfully so because it's developed him into a much more complete, intelligent player. But he has everything there to be that Luis Suarez type thing. And actually, I think that Gabriel Martinelli possesses much of the qualities uh, that uh, Jesus does far over Eddie and Kedia. I think that Eddie and Kedia is just a fox-in-the-box striker, but in terms of pressing from the front and putting feet in and making it awkward for people around him, and even his passing, the passing ability is quite underrated as well. Hmm. I think that Gabriel Martinelli could be the one that carries through this sort of, if it's a, a, a quite a large period of time, I think, I think it could be him. Tom, can I just ask you guys, um, because this came up, and I'd love to get the doc's take on it as well, uh, Kevin was saying, having played that position, and you've seen how he's built and how a lot of forwards are built, that Jesus's body type is much stronger than Martinelli in terms of his lower sense of gravity as well, the way he holds up the ball. He thinks Martinelli is not fragile, but could get eaten alive by the likes of the Virgil van Dijk's or the Laportes or the, you know, those types of big central defender type players. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, whether or not Martinelli can sustain. I know everyone wants him to play in this number nine role, but can he physically be able to do that considering what he will face versus what he does as an attacking winger? I think so. Look, I think uh, to overlook some of the fullbacks that he's ran absolutely ragged at times, um, that's not just with pace or skill. It's, it's often physicality. And I think, you know, um, he's deceptively, deceptively strong. You hear a lot of people saying the same thing about Bukayo Saka. And I know that it's a completely different task going up against somebody like a Virgil van Dijk. But the, the truth is, is that if he ever wants to make that transition um, to centre-forward, and we know that he has been training in that position, um, uh, with Mikel Arteta obviously being instructed on what he has to improve on, and you can't really continue to avoid it. It's sort of a baptism of fire type thing where he, he, he's just, he's just going to have to go out and find out. <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think first off, going back to the Jesus point, it, it's less about build to me. It's more about how he, how he knows how to use his body. So when you watch Jesus play, he drops his hips really, really low. 
he use he sets a lot of traps for defenders when it comes to leverage. Like he'll deke one way and then go the other just to gain leverage on them. Saka to me actually plays more similarly with his back to net to Jesus than Martinelli does because Saka knows how to really, really understands how to use that low center of mass and he understands how to leverage defenders. Uh, Martinelli, I think the one thing that he's shown is that he learns is that he, he, he can learn quickly. Yeah. He has the ability to um, it's certainly a different task than running at defenders. Yeah. There's physicality involved in that, but when you're being leveraged and pushed on for the entire match, that takes a different level of fitness and physicality than it does to play out wide. Can't, does it mean he can't learn how to do it? Of course not, right? And, and I and I think that the key thing here, it's actually a silver lining, is that if Jesus would have gotten hurt while games were going on, there would have been a two, three, four, five game transition where you're likely going to drop some points just you know, as we know what happens when a main player gets hurt during the season, we've seen it, especially with this Arsenal team who rely on certain players to be at the top of their game and they have a fine, you know, fine margins. Uh, I think this, this gap here, knowing that he's going to be out gives the team a month or so to far better prepare for that reality compared to having to do it on the fly. Can I just throw in one? Hmm. It was just something that sprang to mind around the whole um, physicality part of the conversation between Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli. But a question to put back all three is, is is that, yes, Gabriel Martinelli might be you know, slightly less efficient in terms of putting himself about than Gabriel Jesus, but how much le- less deficient is Gabriel Martinelli at doing that than Eddie and Kadia? It's tough, isn't it? Like you're trying to measure the difference between their outputs. When it's actually funny because we had a discussion about this in one of the morning shows, and someone, I can't, it might have been James Curry actually that, that said the message. If I've got that right, I tell you that's knowledge of, of, your, of, your, of your listener base. Um, I think he said that there's concerns that obviously Gabriel Martinez doesn't really play striker, and when he has played there, it's not necessarily worked. But actually, when you look back at the numbers, he doesn't have that bad of a record. I think he's got something like seven goals in 14 games playing in the middle. I do think some of those goals have obviously come in in embraces. I remember the two he scored against Liverpool in the League Cup when he played through the middle. I think he scored a couple in a brace early on in the Europa League when he started under Unai Emery as well. So some of them have obviously come in those in those singular performances. But the thing about Martinelli is, is I think that actually there is a player there who is not only able to play it, but willing to, to do it. And as you've mentioned, Darwin, he's obviously training and Arteta is coaching him and the, you know, the, the staff are coaching him in that central role. That is something that they see as a 20, 21-year-old kid that he's still malleable enough that he can learn that position and learn that role and improve into that role. And I think that there is scope for him to do that. And that's why I think, ironically, and it segues nicely into the transfer window, that we're being linked with Mikhailo Mudrik beyond anything else, a player who plays in Gabriel Martinelli's position at the moment, because I think they believe that Martinelli can be a versatile player in the front three. And I also think and there's been some reports that they believe that Mudrik can also himself be coached and changed and moulded into another role. Raj, do you want to come in on this? Yeah, one that I just wanted to mention was also, you know, with the Neil Smith Rowe coming back as mm. well, who can also play on the left as well. We've also seen Mikel play him as a false nine before. It wasn't that successful, but mm. I think he thinks he might have that skill set potentially to play there. So that's another potential variable that they can they can play around with as well. 
Yeah, I, I, again. Sorry, on, Tom. Sorry. I was going. I was just no. I was just going to say that we forget about Emil Smith Rowe, and um, I think that's that's a great point. Also, one of the things there's there's this there's two different conversations. There's the conversation of more goals in this Arsenal team. There's a conversation of a prolific goal scoring striker, and Jesus has never been that. He wasn't that at City. You know, um, asked to play differently there too. Uh, Arteta wants a particular, you know, forward. Jesus has fit his mould and his system beautifully. When you lose, though, all the other X factors that we talked about, that's when you really need Saka to keep scoring, Xhaka coming in from midfield, Partey with his wonder goals, Martinelli. If this was Arsenal maybe last season and we, we had Jesus, but still maybe not other components, I don't know. There's something... I'm worried about the pressing part of it, but the goals part, I'm not. And it's really hard to kind of ex- explain, you know, what I'm what I'm trying to say in the sense that we can still win games, but the way we play may not be as mm. impactful or prolific or... Do you know what I mean, Tom? Yeah. Oh, uh, Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I am actually quite the opposite, Sophie. I, I, I actually, I'm not at all worried about what way we play in terms of pressing and the energy. I think that that's all going to be there. But I think that if you look at Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka, and maybe Tom, you're the stat nerd here. You can probably tell me whether I'm right or wrong, but I'm not sure. That's what my official offer. title, by the way, stat nerd. Stat nerd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure, but there's definitely been an upturn in terms of output from Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli this season. And mm. I'm terrified as to what impact the absence of Jesus is going to have on those two players. Yeah, I think that the key of this is, and I remember talking with Harry Simeon about this on, on Sophie's Challenge at the start of the season, where Harry brought up the point that he felt that Jesus would have a whale of a time this season regarding goals because Bakaya Saka gets so much focus from the opposition in terms of marking and you know, you know, really trying to restrict that space, that Jesus would be great. And actually, ironically, what's happened is the opposite. And Saka's had a really good season because... As Jesus is impressed, teams have put more focus onto trying to prevent Jesus from doing what he does. And that's then opened up more space for Saka to be good. And Martinelli, of course, on the other side to be good. And I think they've both profited. I mean, they're both on the same amount of goals uh, as Jesus has this season, with Erdegaard being our top scorer, which in itself is a whole other podcast. Um, but I think now with... I think we all agree Eddie and Ketty will be the one Arteta chooses to come in. Otherwise, why give him such a lucrative contract to renew him if you're not going to... You know, you're going you're gonna to have to play him. Um, and I think that he has shown in the games, as we saw at the end of last season, that he certainly can be a finisher. And I think that Jesus has obviously missed some very high-profile chances, as we all know. And I'm, I'd bank on Eddie Nketi to score some of the chances that Jesus has missed, to be honest. And I'm, I'm confident saying that. I think the key part of this is, is going to be around whether or not Eddie, as Sove talked about, provides the press. And I know, Owen, you said that you expect everyone else, all 10 other players in the team, to do that job. It's whether or not Jesus, uh, sorry, whether or not Enketia is going to do that job. We saw him in the Europa League. I mean, people talk about the fact that we need to see him play regularly. He's played nearly every single week, at least once a week, because we've had the Europa League every week. It's not gone amazingly. And I think the counter argument to that is he isn't always playing with the first team in those games. And I think that's probably the counter argument to that. But he is playing regularly and he hasn't necessarily shown what maybe he did at the end of last season. So. Also, now we don't want to fall into the trap, guys, of 
yes, towards the end of last season, he came in, he did a great job. And he didn't have really big shoes to fill, though, did he? Let's be honest. All we needed was someone to come in and score goals. And he did that. Mm. That was his job. Well done. Over a longer period of time, I'm not sure, or most, a lot of Arsenal fans aren't convinced he can do it. Even worse, can he do it? Can we do it? It's okay, Jesus just being injured. But what if you lose another integral part of the spine, God forbid? That's when it becomes a challenge for Arsenal to continue playing the way that they have. When we've all discussed beyond the starting eleven, it's tough. We saw what happened last season. You lose three players, you run into trouble. Now is the keys to whoever is at the World Cup to come back fit, lean and healthy. No faux pas, you know, in the Dubai Cup. But, you know, these things are going to happen in football. But that is the biggest thing that concerns me. You lose one you lose a couple, that's when the problems really start. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think the problems are going to arise in a period where the club have a chance to react because the January transfer window is there. Um, And we will see across, I think, West Ham and Brighton when Nketiah inevitably starts those games, the reaction to not only the World Cup, but also obviously the loss of Jesus, which is going to be key. There's a good chance that Jesus may not have even been available for that West Ham game anyway, because... If Brazil gets the World Cup final, that 10-day break that they get at the end of the World Cup obviously means that he wouldn't have been there uh, unless he would have waived the 10 days, of course, which knowing Jesus, he might have done. But uh, we're going to get a chance to see it. Now, before, and uh, we, we mentioned Smith Rowe as well, which, uh, you know, we can tell we've got a great chemistry between us when our guests are trying to segue on to the next topic seamlessly. That's great. But Raj, Smith Rowe coming back, of course, he's suffered with these injury problems throughout his early career at Arsenal. And Arteta came out with the quotes in, uh, I think it was September when they interviewed him after they decided to go through the surgery, that the clubs decided to draw a line underneath what had happened and to go ahead with surgery. Now, this groin issue has seemingly plagued him for some time. Is this, as we saw, ironically, again, the comparison to Xhaka. Xhaka recovered uh, not from surgery, but from an injury and has since obviously gone on to not face another injury. Do you think this surgery for Smith-Rowe is being done so that we can then kind of unleash Smith Rowe at full fitness for a continuous period of time with a much more reliable track record. I mean, that's the hope, right? I think mm. with this type of injury, with you want to treat conservatively at first, but then, like you said, once you see the same pattern not working, not working, you have to try something new. The question for for Emil really becomes now: he hasn't played in a while, and so rebuilding match fitness and rebuilding match rhythm always comes with risk for other discomfort. And that's, that's just what it is. Right. And so there's always going to be that transitional risk. And now we're saying there might be even more of an onus on him due to Jesus being out. Right. So it's, it's about man. They have to manage him well. And, and the arsenal physio medical staff have done a great job in the last couple of years of, of doing just that and understanding their players. So I think we'll see him hopefully get a, a good some bounce games and then consistent run of minutes. That's really the biggest thing that he needs is consistency in terms of minutes and being able to rebuild that match fitness. Because you know he is a player who is quite physical in terms of the, the attributes that he offers. Right, his, his five his five meter acceleration, his ability to change direction, and so he relies on those things. And you know, in my opinion, as an attacker, he has a very unique profile for Arsenal in that regard. And so, the key again is with him. Like I said, is just getting him consistent minutes, and hopefully, 
him having almost the second preseason after he pretty much missed all of preseason because he was dealing with that injury, right? I think this one comes at a great time for him to be able to be better prepared for the second half of the season moving forward. So regarding um, Emil, uh, Doc, I was there's two things I wanted to ask you. The first one was the image of him that came out a couple of weeks ago where he's putting his sweatshirt on and he looks like he's bulked up. Um, his arms look bigger. Can you talk me through that a little bit in terms of a player who has had injuries and then, you know, in terms of the fact that he's still young, a man's body matures till 21. He looks like he's bulked up. Good thing, bad thing. What's your take on kind of like his overall body strength and, and how he's looking, you know, in comparison to, you know, um, the injuries and stuff like that. Is that going to help him? Yeah. I mean, it's always, there's a difference between, to me, between bulking up and being stronger. The reality is for footballers during the season, they have so much caloric expenditure. They're putting out so many calories that you can't bulk up, but they might actually still be in better shape physically than they were, right? Because they're playing real matches. So now he's not doing as much, let's say, cardiovascular work because he's not on the pitch, but he's still lifting. So naturally he's going to be bull. He's going to be, have more muscular development. Does that necessarily mean is that necessarily, uh, you know, mean that he's stronger and more fit? Not necessarily. But to your point, and I've said this multiple times about him, is that, yeah, he is still in that early, not early, excuse me, late stage physical development, you know, getting into his, he's in his early 20s. So, yeah, he's going to have more of that physical development. We even see it, you know, with Saka, if you compare his pictures as well right? He's definitely more physically robust now than he was before. And you're, you're going to keep seeing that until they get to those mid to late twenties. Wow. And then do you buy into this injury prone thing? Because one of the things that worries me about Emil is, you know, you don't want him to follow in the path of a Jack Wilshire. I think Emil looks after himself better. I'm not saying Jack didn't, um, but do you buy into the injury prone thing is that a thing i mean it's it's a thing but it depends on why it's happening right if you're saying like mikhail said that emil has a real reason for this right which they're saying he does and and it's an actual thing when it comes to some of that you know those those uh development injuries i wouldn't say he's injury prone that's just part and parcel you see you see a lot of younger players who go through some of these injury issues as they're developing as they're acclimating to first team football and we forget like Emil was thrust into the first team quickly and played a ton of games very quickly right, right. because Mikel you could say for different reasons, maybe his, his job was punching on the line he was he desperate yeah so and he played him in a bunch of games immediately right and so that's not an easy physical test to, to do that we've seen it we've even seen it with very robust players thomas Partey comes to mind didn't have a preseason was thrust into the premier league very very quickly and he had physical issues and this is a player who's you know in his physical peak right so now imagine for a player who's much younger and having to do that and having to acclimate very quickly so you have knock-on effects like that tomiyasu same thing and so I mean, I, when you think combine all those things together, do I think he's injury prone? Not really. I think there's 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 very valid contextual factors for why he's had the issues he's had. But I think the key here is that they now, or with Jesus, they did, they still do. They have the ability to rotate some of these guys out 
and still be effective. Whereas before, like Tom said, there was a desperation where certain guys had to play. Tomiyasu got injured because Suarez was hurt and they had to play him, right? That's how the calf injury developed, whereas now they have more depth there. So that's a natural progression for the team is having more depth, adding more players in. Doc, see, just in terms of, you sort of rotated back to Gabriel Jesus there and something that completely slipped my mind that I wanted to ask you earlier was that I had a brief sort of look at uh, Gabriel Jesus's injury history and uh, look, it's, it's not extensive uh, information, but um, seemingly all he's had is knocks. But in 2018, he did miss 10 weeks, I think it was, for um, uh, ligament damage in his left knee. Um, now, this is obviously his right knee, so it, it isn't a repeat injury. But uh, uh, just I've seen pictures, obviously, of um, uh, Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, you know, laying on the ground, clutching his knee, and everybody knows how that story ends. But with Jesus, is there the possibility of, uh, I know there's things like cadaver uh, um, uh, ligaments and stuff that can do to replace and strengthen ligaments and stuff like that there, but is there is there much of a chance of this becoming a reoccurring problem with Jesus or is it sort of a, a one-and-done hopeful thing? Yes, that depends on, on the injury. Like Ronaldo won, Ronaldo, let's just say he wasn't, you know, the most fit in terms of off off pitch habits, right? Until later on in his career. What are you saying? Yeah, and, <laughs> and so, um, whereas we've heard, I think, from so many people about how Gabriel is his his habits off the pitch are incredibly, incredibly high. That's part of why Mikel wanted him on the team. That that plays a big difference. Also, it's a it's a much different ligament. The MCL compared, I believe Ronaldo had an ACL injury, which is significantly different than an MCL injury. So there's there's many, many details there that are different. And on and on and you know lastly, re- rehabilitation and medicine has come a long, long, long ways since then and so there, yeah there's a, there's a lot of differences here when it comes to mcl injuries it doesn't really like the reoccurring aspect doesn't really concern me the outcomes are very very good the question is going to be really more so with that meniscus mm, absolutely and i think that you know circling back to smith row as well with the pair of them you know the hope is that the surgery that Smith Rowe has gone under and the surgery that Jesus has gone under, this is meant to be for long-term solutions to these problems. So hopefully when they're done, it is a case of one and done is probably too hopeful. These are footballers, you know, they get injured, things happen. Um, yep. But the aim is, is that like we've seen with a number of players when they've returned from injury, that they respond to that well and go a, a significant period of time without uh, that happening again. Um Kind of moving to the final topic that I want to discuss before we move on to, to the final part of the show. Um, Tommy Asu was obviously eliminated with Japan uh, and he spoke after the game, Owen, about how he wanted to forget about football for a bit, um, which is completely fair. You know, I've, I've wanted to forget about football for a bit sometimes, uh, especially when it encompasses your entire life when Arsenal missed out on the top four last season. I certainly felt I wanted to forget about football for a bit. Um, he obviously is, is is mentally affected by that elimination. Um, we obviously don't know the uh, situation around Ben White, who is going through something personal, and we're obviously not going to speculate about that. But there are obviously challenges from a mental perspective that the players face. But this World Cup presents a new challenge because it's happening in mid-season, and these players are receiving such a mental hit on a negative factor by being eliminated with their country because, you know, only one country can win. So most players that go are going to be end up disappointed. 
So how do you think, how did, how did you react when you heard kind of those quotes from Tommy Asu? And is there a growing concern for you that Arsenal may, you know, feel some negativity from the, the World Cup being in this mid-season part with the, the mental impact of it? Yeah, so I'll answer that in two. So the, the, first of all, the Tommy Asu thing, I'll be honest, um, as droll and dreary as it sounded from him and as awful as it sounded, I have no concerns whatsoever about Tommy Asu simply because it's really funny. It's a bit of a, de- a developing trend. If you listen to his post-match interviews, you'd swear the world's about to end. He's hypercritical of himself. <laughs> Him and Ben White have that in common, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, it's just he, he seems to be very, very self-critical and maybe that's the reason he finds himself performing at such a high level um, at, the, at the minute, you know. So uh, in terms of Tommy Asu, no worries whatsoever. In terms of the squad as a whole, First of all, the, I'll, I'll touch on this one. The Ben White personal reasons stuff, it's disgraceful to see the amount of people. The first thing that when they see personal reasons, everybody's on Twitter asking, well, what's mm. the personal reason? It's like the whole point of per- personal reasons, lads. Um, but look, I think that Mikel Arteta, we've seen in the Amazon documentary, and, and look, that's a very brief, uh, intentional peek behind the curtain of what they want you to see. Yeah. But we've seen how much he puts into the mental side of the game, mental preparation. And I have every ounce of faith that Mikel Arteta would have had those players mentally prepared to go away and come back 100% ready. Um, and to be honest with you, I think that I think that you look at this World Cup as well, I think a lot of teams have struggled to get going. You know, the World Cup's a very passionate merchant tournament that, to be honest with you, I don't really enjoy that much myself. Um, as an Ireland fan, that's very easy to say anyway. But, um. I don't really have much concerns whatsoever. No, I think that it, it's footballers are, are rhythm players. And once they come back and they get one training session under their belt and one game under their belt, they'll bang, they'll be they'll be back in the swing of things. And um the only concern I'd really potentially have is more physical fatigue come towards the end of the season. You know, we'll see this with the World mm-hmm. Cup sometimes it's a little bit slow and jaded, and that's because you're getting the players entering the tournament summer after a full season. So I think that the biggest impact of this World Cup is going to be come towards those last 10, 8, 5 fixtures. That's when you're going to see see uh, the, the fatigue of this World Cup setting in. Mm. I think yeah, for absolutely. higher player, I think for higher player profiles, Tom, it might be a little tougher to overcome stuff. But then you've seen high pro, higher profile players. Beckham, the great example, comes back, wins the treble from a horrific World Cup. Um, Saka, the Euros, suffers horrific abuse. Uh, comes back stronger and if a young 20 year old can do that a an already more mature player in the mold of Tommy Yasu can come back I think and hand and handle it um, I think his biggest downer was that he was he was injured and he, he couldn't perform to his uh, uh, you know the best of his ability and I think when you come off that the immediate reaction is to have sadness and of course he's going to be sad um, but I think also that Mikel must have prepared for all of this beforehand. He's, his attention to detail is so insane that I believe he and his team have been thinking about how players are going to come back before they even went. That's how I think this group plans. So I feel confident that once they come back, it'll feel like coming home. And that will be a comfort to them. Someone says coming home. I swear I heard that. <laughs> um, forgive the pun. I did not mean it at all, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Doc, I mean, the idea of the World Cup and being in this period as well, from that kind of perspective, we've seen, obviously, I think most people are quite thankful to see Ghana in particular eliminated in the group stage with with all the, the, the best interests of Partey at heart because he suffered with these injuries. So he was playing three games in the space of such a short period of time. It seems like we've we've you know avoided that. Um, thankfully, we see Ben White. Of course, is not going to be involved, which you know in the long term, in terms of his fitness, and he's going to avoid that injury problem. But he wasn't playing anyway, so you've got that Ramsdale too. But Bakai Saka is playing. You know, he's starting every game by the last group stage game. Uh, he's going to be relied upon heavily, I think, if England somehow progress past France through to the later part of the tournament. Um, Saliba hasn't played, and I think he was probably the main one. If you were going to lose one player in the World Cup. He's probably the one that most people would have said that they wanted to protect uh, along with probably Partey, you know, the most because they're just so important to us. So who are you kind of looking at with concern in your perspective? And overall, how do you feel like the World Cup may affect not just us, but of course, title rival City? I think their whole starting eleven nearly has gone to that tournament as well. Yeah, I think the main guy I would focus on just because minutes play, like you said, is Saka, right? Because he's playing, he's going to be counted on consistently and, and there's potentially a deeper run. Saliba obviously was a concern, but he hasn't played that much. I don't see him being uh, put into the lineup now considering, right, it's knockouts. So that doesn't concern me as much. I mean, overall, it's been other than, the, the you know, the Gabriel's injury, it, it's been a relatively good World Cup in terms of minutes played. I know one positive for Saka is that there are certain guys who are so fit where they need minutes to stay fit. And I talk about this a lot. Xhaka is like this. When you're playing matches and you're used to playing matches, your body needs to play more matches to stay in fitness. And so, of course, there does come a red line with that, right? The red zone where you're where you're overworked. And so, but they'll have a plan for soccer coming back. They have a plan for all these guys coming back, how to get them ramped up. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Because you're, I mean, when it comes to fitness planning at the elite sport level, it's very detailed. So when you have this month gap, it throws a lot of wrenches into that. And not just that, it's now, you know, it's now a lot of time where the typical physios aren't spending that day-to-day with these guys, right? Now it's the national team guys. So now you have to rely on secondhand accounts rather than your own accounts and stuff can get lost in translation, whether that's, you know, literally or figuratively. And so there's those aspects as well. And, but the good thing is like, I think they, they've planned very well. This is a coaching staff, physio staff. It's very, very detailed and they'll have all these variables in mind. And the other thing is every single club has to deal with this reality. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But I think, um, you know, as Owen said, I think the fatigue, physical fatigue factor is far more of a concern than the mental side. For Tomoyasu, I would have been surprised if he, if that wasn't his response from everything mm. I've heard about him. I would have been more concerned because he tapes things. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> no, well, yeah. no, he tapes things. He has the highest standards for himself, <laughs> highest expectations for himself. You know, and, and so that's part of why Mikel loves him. That's part of why he's on the team. And part of what makes his Arsenal talent ID so good is that they do a lot of homework on psychological profiles and understanding what makes these players tick and how resilient they are and how they respond to challenges, right? I think that's part of why after the disappointment last year, you're seeing how they've responded to that, right? Ultimate disappointment. And I think a lot of that comes down to is 
the profiles that the, the club have recruited and how the staff treats him. We saw on the documentary um, how Carlos Cuesta talks to a lot of these guys. There's a lot of focus on that physical human side. And this is where you really see the benefits of that. Absolutely. So did you want to say something I, quick? I just for 30 seconds, I know we're going to mm. wrap in a minute. Um, Doc, so would you say that Jacka should carry on and go to Dubai and Tomiyasu needs a rest? Because it, it, they, they are, it, their, their conditioning is designed by, you know, their own um, kind of characteristics, the, the, the players, you know, their person, hyper-personalized plans for them. Would you, is that what we're saying here? Should he carry on, go versus rest? What's the, the juxtaposition between that? Well, it depends. It depends on where they're at physically. Tomiyasu, we know, has been dealing with hamstring discomfort, right? So it might be something physically where they want to take a break. Whereas Jaka's assessments might be very, very different. He might still be in, in a high level of fitness. And Jaka's fitness levels are, are pretty ridiculous. And so it's going to come down to that aspect as well. But you have to balance out some of the mental parts as well. Jacques has been through uh, a lot and he's gotten through it, I think, uh, quite well mentally, whereas Tomiyasu might need a little bit, little bit more of a, of a mental and physical break. So it just comes down to each player. And like you said, those individualized plans. Does that mean Tomiyasu is, will have a full physical break? Likely not but they might just damper down some of it and let him, you know, some active recovery and then ramp him back up once he's ready. And as we record this, of course, um, Granite Xhaka has just been eliminated from the World Cup. Uh, you're listening to this the following day, um, but Xhaka uh, is now out. He survived and uh, no injury issues, uh, thankfully, to report. However, he may have to take some time to come back from a 6-1 thumping uh, from Portugal on Gonçalo Ramos, who's a name that people need to, to keep an eye on, who got a hat-trick as the 21-year-old striker who replaced Ronaldo, ironically. What a story that is. Um so to round off uh, the show, the final short section, and it may, this is obviously this section is going to change and be malleable and develop as this podcast continues to grow and, and change as we go on, is, is kind of the where we are at section, if you will, uh, which is to kind of just tell you listeners where we are at on along our journey, because we're at the start of this journey on a podcast, although it's certainly not the start of our journeys from a fitness perspective whatsoever, but certainly in the perspective of this podcast, uh, what we're going to do is just going to say, what kind of how we feel very honestly about where we are right now and kind of what we want to achieve and it might be that we're pretty happy it might be that we're not uh, i know people know exactly how i feel right now um but we're going to change that hopefully owen why don't we start uh, with you yeah so my fitness journey is just a pretty insane one you talk about being at the top of a cliff and then land at the bottom of it the next minute um so essentially <clears throat> I look. I've been quite athletic my whole life. Always did sports. Always played football. Still play football now. But when I was about twenty, twenty-one, right up until I was about twenty-five, I was really into running. You know, and as I mentioned to you, all I did was I started off doing a mile and a half, uh, five days a week, and I did that for uh, about two weeks, and then I started adding half a mile all the time, and eventually I was running ten miles four or five times a week. And I told you my uh, ingenious way of doing that was I would get my missus or I would get my mum or I would get somebody to drive me 10 miles away from home and I'd jump out of the car and I'd just run home uh, <laughs> because you had no other choice but to, but to do it especially in the middle of winter in Ireland but well, there's Uber now uh, so there's a, there's a way out <laughs> yeah yeah and I was, they never even realised I was getting the bus the entire time absolutely <laughs> but uh, 
look, no, then obviously things happen, work and, and job. And probably the most impactful was I had my two daughters over the last, uh, you know, three years or so. And I'm sure anybody who has children or knows people who have children, uh, it's very, very time consuming. Um, so whilst I've kept up my football and whilst I've still feel relatively fit when I play football, I went from probably 11 and a half stone to about 14 and a half stone in the course of five or six years, which just isn't good. And whilst I think I've grown and stuff, I'm not going to get back down to that weight again, I don't think. Uh, it's, it's a case of I've just started running in again. But this is maybe something I could throw over to Raj to ask you, Raj, because something that I really struggle with as somebody who, as I said to Tom, I was at really, really high level of fitness at one point. Whilst I was doing all those runs, I was still doing my football training and playing five sides and, and seeing amount of cardio. But now I go out, say, for example, um, last week or the week before it was, I did my first run and I ran about five mile, which looking back is probably a bit too much to start off on again. But that's the difficulty is that I find is that in my head, when I go to run, my body will break down, but my head will still be telling me to keep running and keep running. And, and is that good or is that bad? Is that going to damage my training? Is that, you know, is that detrimental? Is that something that will, will potentially make me give up sooner than easing myself back in? Yeah. Uh, short answer. Yes, it will. And the reason is because, you know, it's, it's like, it's like football overload. If you throw a player, if you throw, if we throw ESR back in 90 minutes, three times, you think he's going to get hurt very likely, right? Same thing applies. The body principles apply to anybody. And so, and it's fitness. The one thing we have to understand, it's all relative fitness. So yeah, you know, let's, for, I'm giving myself an example. I used to run marathons. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of running, but I did it. But if I went back into it now, could I go and do that? Very likely not because my body has now deacclimated, right? Same thing with yours. It's deacclimated. And so whether it was, whether it was the pandemic, whether it was having kids or whatever it was, right. Our body has now a different set point. And so we have to now gradually and slowly reacclimate. I mean, the way I describe it is you can always add, it's like, it's like having shots. You can always add more, but you can't take them away. So you, you'd rather be conservative on, on the front end and see how you feel and you want to build it slowly. And, and that's really the key thing is that gradual, slow process and paying attention to how your body feels. Because pushing through pain, pain is a signal from the, from the brain about something, right? So we have to pay attention to that. And being patient, it's like compound interest. You put a dollar in per day over time, long term, you're going you know, to retire quite well. Right. So that's really the key. It's really about consistency and gradually building up. And then that's different for each person as well. Didn't realize I have to change this to the Arsenal Finance podcast, but we uh <laughs> <laughs> we got it with that. Um no, lovely stuff. So why don't you go? All right, I'm here to represent the plus fifties, the generation X's <laughs> and um my Food versus exercise. I can't wait to get stuck into all of this in the coming episodes with the doc and stuff because uh, I I was very active when I was younger. Played netball, um, football, basketball, and cricket. Then you know got a job in the entertainment industry, craft services. You know how that goes. It's the devil. And slowly piled on weight uh, and then lost it. I've not really told anyone this on air, but 
there was a time where I weighed 156 pounds and that's because I was not in a very great relationship. I was living in Athens, Greece, and I wasn't happy. And I just ate all the Greek food available to me 24 seven. I mean, when I get stressed, I'm, I like food and I'm Greek and I like food anyway. So then I don't need too much of an excuse to like, you know, go into the the pantry um, if I'm feeling a bit blue or down and I've not balanced it enough with exercise. So I was doing great, kept all my weight off. And at the beginning of COVID, like many people, uh, you know, you get scared and then you think, well, I'm just going to eat all the pizza in the world. I mean, that's just what's going to, I'll drink. And so I put on 18 pounds since the start of COVID up until yesterday. And yesterday it was so, I I couldn't even believe when I was watching Tom's show that he was talking about this because I was literally just having the same conversations with my partner about, my gosh, I need to get back on the rowing machine. I need to start exercising again. I'm sitting at the desk. I'm doing the show. I'm going from one thing to the other, and I've stopped taking care of me. Um, and, you know, it may not seem like, okay, I may not look like I've put on 18 pounds, but I know I've put on the weight. It doesn't matter. It's all relative, right, to your own situation. And it goes on in different places. And uh, so that's, for me, my journey is I've got to start exercising and getting back to eating lean the way I was before. Mm. And as you get older, Tom, it's harder to shift this stuff. Let me tell you, take care of yourselves as much as you can (laughs) now, people, because it is not easy. And your body changes. You know, there are things that Mm. used to point north and they start pointing south pretty quickly. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm starting to get worried that might be me in the future as well. Um, Raj, uh, kind of, obviously, from your perspective, you, you're constantly immersed in this world of fitness and health and recovery in particular and kind of setting out strategies for people in particular. Um, how do you find yourself under pressure in, in your own position to be kind of a, a bit of a, what's the right word, a symbol of, of fitness and a symbol of kind of like that being trying to be in the, the best shape possible. And does that, from a mental perspective, put you under pressure? And do you feel that weight of expectation sometimes? Um, the term I like is pressure as a privilege, right? And so, you know, I have the privilege of, of doing the things that I do. But something, you know, something I go by is I'm never going to ask someone to do something that I'm not willing to do. Right. And so that means I have to be willing to, to do the same exact things I'm asking athletes or other people to do. And so naturally that, yeah, that leads to, you you know, having that fitness and whatever it is, because I think when you're speaking from a place of personal experience, it allows you to empathize and understand to a different level, especially, and, and people resonate with that because there's certain little details you might, I might pick up on, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing certain things, whether it's fitness, whether it's training, pushing myself to the limit, that then allows me to, to connect with someone, right? And then really resonate with them. And, you know, even my background, when I was in high school, I broke my ankle, had surgery, I was up to 200 pounds. And I didn't lose that until my, and three years later in uh, college. And so I've been through that entire thing. And um, mm. so, you know, it's a very personal experience to every person one that is, is personal for me. And so I, that's why I, I, I do, there is a pressure, but I think, you know, it's a, like I said, it's, it's a privilege to have that and be able to work with other individuals who kind of want to get into that same, in that same space and understand, 
really had it. It's not just a short term thing, had to make it into a lifestyle, into a habit. And that, and that's really the key is where if you can change something into a habit, then it just becomes something you don't even think about. Like for me, training, it's not something I even think about. It just mm. part of my day in nutrition. It's just part of my day. And I think part of that, of course, like you said, is because I'm surrounded by it a lot. And so naturally it lends itself to that. But really for me, you know, whether it's with you guys or anyone I work with, it's just trying to figure out how we can turn these things into habits and keep it sustainable. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to come in and mention there as well that something in my experience, and look, I know it sounds silly me giving advice to someone who's fallen off the uh, fallen off the horse, but something that I'm a real advocate of is that people often come out with these big plans. You know, I'm going to run 5K a day for a month or I'm going to do this amount for, get it out of your head. All I always used to think of doing was just one day at a time. Your, your, your next mission is eat a healthy breakfast and your next mission is eat a healthy lunch. And even at that there, something that I used to do as well was introduce small things at, at, at different stages. So for example, Tom, you said you wanted to run a mile a day. Just mm. do that. Don't worry about your diet within reason for two weeks. And then after, if you do that for two weeks, then start to worry about your diet. And, and Mate, I've got advent that. calendars to eat, so it's going to be tricky, <laughs> you know. Small, small increments. But the way to approach it is as well, and Raj can maybe tell me whether I'm completely different. I op- operate off the, um, I come from a place of self sort of deprecating, whereas if I come in and I try to talk to myself at all, about uh, Michael for a run. I tell myself in my head, just shut up and do it. Just go, stop talking about it. Go get your stuff on, go out the door straight away. And even if you do 10 minutes, well, it's 10 more minutes than you would have done if you had been sitting on the sofa. And it's the small wins. It isn't the big ones, these big long-term plans. Um, you know, give yourself small goals all the time and, and mm. try not to over, overwhelm yourself. No, yeah, you're exactly right. You're, and that's the key thing. When, just, when you have these big goals in mind, you don't even know how to get there. Right. And so, you know, a, a goal without a plan is a wish. And so if you just focus on the small little things every day, you focus on the process um, like Arsenal did, you'll see. And then, and now where we're at, right. You got to focus on the daily changes and eventually the outcomes will come. And, you know, once you start to see those early results and you feel better, then it becomes self-reinforcing. The hardest part is always the start. And the hardest part is almost having the humility to say, it's going to be small at the start, right? It's going to be 10 minutes. It's going to be 15 minutes. And that's okay. But that's still, that's the only way to really build change is to start small and build it out from there. And, and, and you know, every person who's quote unquote fit now at some point started the same way, right? And so, you, you know, that's the key thing to understand is that you're, you're seeing just a tip of the iceberg. You're not seeing how they got there and, and how everyone gets there for long-term change. It's small changes over time. And that goes for fitness, goes for anything else, goes for finance, Tom. And so, um, <laughs> careful, we'll have a spin-off soon. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There really is nothing like that first moment where you see yourself in the mirror and you see change. And mm. I've, I, I haven't been there and lived through it. And like for 12, 13 years, I kept the weight off and it was great. And I was eating so healthy. I was, I felt great, you know, and when you see that change, you're so right, doc. It's just the most thrilling thing, you know, I, 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 think, know I think one, one of the best feelings I think you can ever have is everybody understands 
especially with running. Running can be so boring. And, you know, you hit the road and you're running and your chest is burning and your head feels like it's about to explode and your jaw hurts, you're that out of, out of breath. And you keep chugging away for a few weeks and a few weeks and eventually you can get to a point where you can just sit at that gear all day and go ahead. And one of the biggest mistakes, one of, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, I just think you're crazy anyway, to be honest. Yeah, 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 but <laughs> everybody I see out running has earphones in. Take the earphones out, leave everything, and just go and be in your own head for 45 minutes because I'm telling you, you go into a daydream and you'll, you, your head, it's almost like it's like a shower for the mind, a shower, shower, shower. Northern Irish people can't really say shower. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> shower. Four-hour bar shower. That's a thing, yeah. Um, shower. <laughs> yeah but no it is that's it. And, and and as doc said it's just constantly just ticking away ticking away ticking away and eventually you'll, you'll hit that gear where it all just becomes second nature absolutely um yeah i mean in short you know i think the guys are summed up kind of where they're at i, I wax lyrical for a, about 20 minutes on 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 monday's show so i won't bore you if you want if you want to know what i said to go back and listen to monday's show but you know in short just not very happy where i am at the moment i want to be better uh going from teaching where i was on my feet all day every day to now obviously doing a dream job yes great but i'm sitting at home behind a desk you know for, for so much longer than i was um but being at home, I think, does enable me to have more access to the, the weights I've got at home, to going for runs around where I'm at home. And it's just about, I think, using what you have at your disposal. Um, and that's going to be the challenge. And I am going to be looking into, because I want to make this as collaborative as possible, and I want to get the listeners involved. And there was a lot of people that messaged me after that show I did. A massive thank you to everybody. I've received so many messages, people offering to take me to PT sessions around where I live. Someone said that I can come into a gym in Leicester. And, you know, it was crazy, the amount of response and i'm still trying to get back to respond to everybody uh, as i can i know there was a lot of people also said they wanted to get involved with the podcast we're going to be doing small features throughout the course of this podcast as well i'm sure we're going to have a sit down and chat with people about their own journeys and what worked for them or what didn't work and how that might help other people that are listening to the show and, and expert nutritionists and dietitians and people like this I, th- I can't wait to see where this goes but um i also to the last thing before I wrap up is to say that I really kind of want to get a, a, a club on Strava started. I need to look into it and I need to work out if, if Strava is the best place to do that or if there's any other places that would be even better to do it. But if we can kind of get a community of people all exercising and kind of showing each other what they're doing, I think that might be an extra motivation to everybody that's in the community as well. Um, Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Tell people where they can find you. Absolutely loved it at Highbury Squad and at Soccer Diva. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. And Tom, well done. Loved it. Brilliant stuff. Lovely stuff. Owen, always a pleasure, my friend. Tell people they can find you as always. And thank you again. Yeah, cheers, buddy. It's, it's been good. I'm uh, located somewhere in the mountains of Ireland in a small <laughs> little cave. Uh, so I don't really use Twitter, but I tell you what, um, you can see me at the Tollington for United uh, game. I'll be there. Uh, there you go doc nice. don't tune in to instagram that day there's gonna be a lot of unhealthy stuff done that day <laughs> don't judge yeah, me have a cheat day a cheat day is okay i'm sure it is indeed <laughs> always allow yourself your little uh little reprieves uh from the strictness and lastly the doc raj thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us i'm really looking forward to seeing what else little nuggets and gifts of knowledge you bring as we continue to do these shows but thanks for your time mate as always and tell people where they can find you yeah, thanks for having me and uh, appreciate all the questions, all the insights. Always great, I think, to show people that, you know, they're not alone. Everyone's going through very similar, not, I want to say very similar, but, you know, 
common relatable common threads, things. relatable themes and so mm. you know being able to help each other out you know that, that's one of the key things especially now with social media being able to use the positive sides of it uh to find me you can find me at at, at 3cb performance or charlie beta performance on uh trying to pretty much all social media channels absolutely a massive thank you as always to Soph and Raj and Owen for taking the time I'm looking forward to seeing them once again next week uh, which of course at that point we not only would have seen uh, who's reached the semi-finals but we would have seen one completed and also Arsenal would have taken part in two friendlies by that point against both Milan and Leon. so seeing how the players have responded is going to give us something to talk about in that game uh, in that podcast sorry as well if you have indeed enjoyed the Eat Sleep Arsenal repeat podcast do drop a like on the video subscribe if you're new make sure you go check out everyone's socials and give them a follow and subscription so you can help them out on their own journeys and we will see you with more information about how you can get involved with this podcast next week and very soon see you soon have a great evening and day and as always up the arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.